I spent a lot of time in the last year and a half trying to pinpoint what my work is. What is my job? What is my role? Because obviously I'm not going to save the world. Like none of us are. Not a part. And I kind of landed on this phrase that I've been keeping with me. And it's bringing people together around a common purpose. Rapid deceleration of anthropogenic environmental decline. And when you just take the first part of that sentence, it doesn't seem so overwhelming. It's just bringing people together. Welcome back to another edition of Be The Change Georgia, brought to you by Be Local Georgia. I'm Nathan Stuck, and I'm passionate about amplifying the voices of the amazing leaders surrounding the B Corp community in the Southeast who are showing how making a profit and making a difference aren't mutually exclusive ideas. Today, there are more than 4,000 B Corps across 75 countries and 150 industries, unified by one common goal, transforming the global economy to benefit all people, communities, and the planet. If you want to learn how to plug into our purpose-driven business community alongside the inspiring leaders we feature on this show, check us out at BeLocalGeorgia.com, and we'll hope to meet you at our next event. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Be The Change Georgia. We're joined today by Tyler Thompson, the organizer of the Green Market Fair that is coming up in Atlanta on Earth Day weekend. Tyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Nathan. Love yeah, your hat. And it's, uh, well, thank you. It's so rocking that national championship glow. Um, you know, it's <laughs> funny, we were joking before we, we hit the record button on what your actual title was. And uh, so we'll throw out the, the one I proposed is you're the organizer and also the chief crazy person uh, who is. Yeah, I like under- that a lot who is undertaking this uh, this endeavor that we're all looking forward to. So um, excited to have one of our conversations publicly with the world. So um, without further ado, we'll just kind of get going here. One of the coolest things as I've gotten to know you is your passion. Um, but I'd love for you to share with your listeners, like who sparked that passion? It's turned into a career for you. It's turned into a pursuit of, of different endeavors of environmental solutions, sustainable development. But where does, where does that passion stem from? Yeah, basically, I grew up uh, hearing my dad preach from a pulpit of our kitchen table um, constantly about environmental decline and um, get some ideas about what we can do to, you know, mitigate the worst consequences of that. But I pretty much ignored him for the most part for a long time. I assumed that if he knew it, like most people would know it. And just as I led my life and pursued my own interests, I realized most people don't really understand in a a meaningful way what's going on environmentally speaking, because it's complicated. Things are connected. It's not super clear uh, cause and effect. But what is super clear is that humans are having an impact on the environment in a negative way, and that we have to do some things to mitigate that. So I sort of came around to that realization that what I had grown up listening to was unique. Um, most people probably didn't have that kind of uh, those kinds of lessons preached to them um, in such an academic way. My dad's an environmental business writer and has been for a long time. He was mostly a freelance journalist, but wrote a book in 1992 called The Environmental Entrepreneur, Where to Find a Profit in Saving the Earth. And in 1992, that was pretty progressive title. <laughs> because people in economics, people in business didn't want to have anything to do with the environment. Environmentalists didn't want to have anything to do with business. The two were at odds. That has changed. Uh, We're in a totally different place now. 
but from that book stemmed much of his research and writings and he's published some other books as a ghostwriter and is working on a couple now which is really the source material for what i'm working on with the atlanta green market fair and beyond that's awesome and it's funny i was going to ask you that follow-up question at what age did you start drowning them out and then at what age did you start yeah. <laughs> man i i would say that it took me a while to come around to this in more of a full-time capacity. Like I, I mostly ignored him um, and pursued my own thing, even attempted a couple different careers for most of my life. It's really been recently since maybe 2017 that I've been working with him more directly on his book and what's possible beyond the book. Um, but yeah, my, my initial career pursuit was to work in international development, international aid in some capacity. I got my master's degree in international development, and, which is a pertinent degree for somebody who wants to work abroad in a development capacity. I uh, was a Peace Corps volunteer in Albania for a couple of years. That was sort of a direct translation of my degree in practice. And just learned through that that you know, development work, international aid, solving poverty issues abroad, these are all things that can be done well, but often aren't. And um, I was a little bit disillusioned with the work and kind of came home looking for something else, randomly got a corporate job, worked out for a while, left that, took this big bicycle trip across the country uh, just to kind of reset myself and discovered on that trip that, you know, this legacy um, from my dad was kind of ripe. and. that I could maybe help. So I, I started working more fully to bring his work to life. And let's back up to that, um, to getting your master's degree. So maybe you can, well, translate translate this into layman's terms for us. Um, but curious to know what you learned and what has, I guess, fundamentally changed or stayed constant about your thinking since then. And the thesis for the record was perspective evaluation synthesis of a localization strategy for the sustainable development goals. I understood a couple words in there. Yeah, that was my master's thesis. Um, you know, it's one of those check, check the box things that was required of my degree, but it, it was informed by my work as a Peace Corps volunteer. Um, basically, the sustainability goals had recently been set at the time of my uh, degree. And I was really interested in how they can be localized. So how uh, local governments, uh, businesses operating locally, nonprofits operating locally can take these global goals and translate them into their local environments. And so the synthesis was basically just looking at different examples of localization strategies that touched on some of the different sustainable development goals around the world. And I drew a lot from my time in the Peace Corps in Albania, which is a pretty interesting country. (laughs) Um, Much like North Korea was Albania, or much like North Korea is today, Albania was up until like 1992 when it opened up uh, to the rest of the world and chaos ensued. Um, So I I was there back in 2013, 2014, 2015. Wow. And so did that, did some of this research that you did in the master's, like, is that what drove you to, I mean, is that where the, was that part of the idea for the uh, green market fair? 
like that little way approached yeah 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 it's interesting uh when you're when you're looking at it from a business perspective there's not much growth there's not much scalability in localizing something um but there is replicability what you can do in one locale you can be inspired by that but do it a little bit differently in the next locale because no place is the same there are different actors different resources and uh it's more impactful to a community anyways to do something locally and uh the idea for the atlanta green market fair is to feature local sustainable businesses local to atlanta local to georgia as much as possible showcase what we're doing well here and you know down the line uh that's probably something that can be replicated in another city um just because we mostly hear about national issues global issues in the news uh these are the kinds of businesses too with with that kind of reach you have more marketing power to share what you're putting out there in the world so you're more aware of those kinds of things the local businesses are usually smaller they don't have that marketing spend you probably don't hear about them as much kind of gets drowned out in the noise so this is an opportunity to showcase those businesses that are doing things right that's awesome yeah no i mean i love the whole idea too of the 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 local movement starting. I think I mean, that's one of the important things. And even the, the its own unique flair, like Be Local Georgia. I mean, we're a, there's Be Locals across the country, but Be Local Georgia is uniquely Georgia. One of these days, they'll make me yeah. take, they'll make me take the peach out of my logo. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is that approach. And you know, talking to as I've gone down since meeting you, more and more of an environmental rabbit hole. Um, you know, the the power of acting locally, the power of of almost the the ease of acting locally too, versus trying to change things. And we get so overwhelmed by this global problem that we're all facing that we, we don't see the forest for the trees. And it's like your city hall is a mile and a half that way, you know, just go down there and see what you can start changing, you know, run for County community, all these simple little things that nobody ever just kind of, everybody gets overwhelmed by this problem. And we stare at it and we don't do anything at all. Um, any action is better than inaction, I guess, unless it's negative action, but. Totally. No, it's, and it's interesting, too, to see what happened with the pandemic. Fresh Harvest is one of the vendors that will be coming to the the fair uh, this April 23rd, uh, the day after Earth Day. And their business model is interesting. They source uh, almost all of their ingredients locally. So their, their average radius is something like 67 miles in terms of where they're sourcing from their distribution center out in Clarkson, Georgia. And they totally crushed it during the pandemic. And it's because local economies of scale enabled them to source throughout the pandemic where you saw global supply chains completely collapse and you have all these dairy farmers uh, dumping out milk um, industrial farmers of produce tossing stuff back out in the field a lot was lost because the global supply chain basically couldn't accommodate the strains of the pandemic but the local supply chains could and that's an important lesson, I think. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to meet a lot of these vendors. Um, speaking of stores, what you're also the co-founder of, of TESS or the Environmental Solutions Store. What, what ultimately led you to be a part of that? And then, and we've talked a little bit on it, but what also kind of, how did that play into the um, Atlanta green market as well? Like what was the, 
I mean, obviously we've talked about your father and we've talked about some of the time in the Peace Corps and the master's thesis. What ultimately like made that decision for you? Yeah, it's it's a natural extension of the fair, I'd say. It's, it's in fact, a the fair is an opportunity to sort of uh, announce the brand, test to the world. And essentially what's envisioned as is an e-commerce platform for local sustainable products and services. And when we're talking about what's replicable versus scalable, sort of what I envision in a cooperative model is a fair like the Atlanta Green Market Fair in Atlanta replicated in another city. And those kinds of events launching weekly, smaller versions of those events, pop-up markets. Um, so it's a physical presence. And then onboarding some of those products and services into an e-commerce platform that's localized to Atlanta, that's localized to Charlotte, that's localized to wherever. And uh, it's, it's that place that fills the gap between you going out to the physical market, like you would go out to a farmer's market or something. Whenever you need something, if you're too lazy to go out on a Saturday or it's raining or something, you just pop onto the e-commerce platform and you can manage your purchases there. And the whole reason that a marketplace like this is important is because it enables all of us to make a really easy choice to buy green, which sends a signal to the marketplace that consumers are interested in and actually prefer sustainable versions of products and services. And that essentially displaces the demand for polluting products and services. And the more that that happens, the more economies of scale support green solutions and abandon polluting products and services that are causing so many of our problems. So that's, that's the idea. It's really to achieve economies of scale for local green businesses so that those kinds of businesses are the ones that win. What, and, and I'm going to play, not devil's advocate here, but I'm curious, you know, from the traditional business model, you know, to, to grow it and locally, but locally you're thinking, okay, how do I expand? How do I scale? How do I grow? How do we keep that local model local? Um, maybe if the business owner is more ambitious and wants to get into major box retailers, you know, how do they not just become the next version of whatever we're replacing? Yeah, you just have to be careful along the way, but I would say that it's possible to achieve sustainability at scale. Look at um, interface carpets. This is a B2B solution, so um, this is not necessarily something a consumer would buy, although they do have floor, which is a consumer-facing uh, version of interface, but they're making carpet tiles, and they've advanced so much that they're actually sequestering carbon in their carpet tiles, which is insane. Um, they're... Their effort is the difference, I think, between how they're doing things and how other businesses are doing things. It's not true that if you go the extra mile and being sustainable, that it's going to cost more and you won't make up that cost in profit. Like You can be super profitable, and they're a great example. I think Patagonia is another great example. They, Because of the way that they make clothing, They've essentially set up supply chains that never existed before. And a good example of that is actually their, their branch into food. They started making provisions, and um, they're, they're totally funding 100%. Um, and I, I forget the name of the grain, but it's what they use to make long root beer. And the roots for this beer, or the, the grains, the roots of the grains that they use for the beer, they're like 12 feet. They go 12 feet into the soil, 
which really helps with soil health and carbon sequestration. And Patagonia is completely funding that, that effort in the U.S. I mean, there really isn't another farm making, growing that kind of grain because there's no, um, it's not being used in any marketable product. Like this is, the, this is what business can do. You know, it, it doesn't mean that the bigger you get, the less sustainable you are. You can do things the right way and be small, medium, or large. No, I, lo- I love that answer. And I get asked that question a lot of times, especially speaking to students of, I would love for this, more people to buy these products, but they're also cost prohibitive. So I think that's a big thing that, that when I hear you talk, it sounds like that's a big part of your why is those economies of scale allow these sustainable products, these more environmentally friendly products to be, you know, if you look at Pete and Jerry's eggs are $7 a dozen, you look at the cheap styrofoam mass farm produced and the, like the gross yellow, like translucent yolk, it's a buck 99 for 18 eggs. So getting those economies of scale, what you're trying to accomplish is what solves that problem. Totally. And, you know, I think it's important to note that there are some things that we think of as sustainable that are also expensive and we wonder why. And I think organic food is a good thing to focus on here. I think the assumption is that organic food has become so popular that like it should be cheaper. But when you look at it as a representation of total food sales, and I looked at this the other day, it's something like 5.6% of all food sales is organic food, which when you're looking at the adoption curve, it's, it's right in the very beginning. Like we haven't even started to go up. Um, and that's why organic food is still expensive. It's, it's an adoption problem. The more it's adopted, the more it's, uh, comp, you know, the bigger percentage of total food sales that organic food is, you'll see prices come down. So, you know, I only bring that up because I think there still remains this assumption that um, there's this green tax uh, and it's like impossible to get rid of, but it isn't. It's, it's just that most of the examples we point to like organic food or electric cars, those kinds of things are still such a small percent of, of total sales. And with electric cars, it's like uh, 2.6% of total vehicle sales or something like that. It's really small. So with all the work still left to be done, um, and you and I share a similar belief of, you know, we talked earlier about action, just do something, get involved. And there's so much work to be done. What drives your optimism, what keeps your energy levels high? You know, I mean, even this, I'm, I'm part of your planning committee for the, for the green market fair. And, and Thank you. I, I can only imagine, you know, and I've been like overwhelmed by some, you know, some of it of, of just being on a couple of committees. And so I know what your workload looks like, what, you know, what gets you out of bed in the morning, what keeps you moving um, and what real change do you hope to see, not just from this, but just when you look back 50 years from now on your lifetime of work, your legacy that you carry on from your dad, what do you hope to see and kind of what, and I'm assuming that's probably what drives you. Yeah, I guess, you know, I'll say a few things here. One thing is the fact that the progress we've made in terms of advancing market-based solutions to environmental problems, the progress that's been made has been made haphazardly. 
So companies are looking at, they're doing market research, right? And they're looking at spend reports and trend reports and all the metadata um, about what you're spending your money on. And they're using that to make decisions about how to run their business. And so because of that, we've seen a lot of advancements. A lot more companies want to be sustainable, right? And sustainability reporting is a big thing. And impact investing is really driving a lot of change because now big companies, big corporations are looking at that money and they're trying to figure out how to get it. Um, but for the most part, change has been made haphazardly, meaning like individuals have made choices and that has been aggregated behind the scenes. But what has not been tried in a sort of like mass, massive way um, is to come together is to come together as a kind of cohort of consumers that are making collaborative choices about what to buy. That kind of thing could drive some really important messaging about consumer preferences and get a lot more response from the marketplace, probably drive a lot more environmental entrepreneurialism as well. So I think that's a pretty exciting outlook when you think about how little has been done to coordinate consumer action. So that's something I'm super interested in with the Atlanta Green Market Fair and with TESS going forward is finding ways to involve people in consumer campaigns that advocate for green products and services. And uh, I think, you know, the last time when we kind of had our practice session for this, uh, to peel back the curtain a bit, um, for this podcast, one of my answers to the like motivation question is, uh, you know, comes from just like a my spirituality, really, and uh, a sense that this is the time, and the heritage from my father is is sort of making this a unique moment for me. Um, there really isn't anything left to do than try, and I operate from that place a lot. Um, it drives me forward, super interesting work as well. Like, I'm just really curious. And I spent a lot of time in the last year and a half trying to pinpoint what my work is. What is my job? What is my role? Because obviously, I'm not going to save the world. Like, none of us are. Not a part. And I kind of landed on this phrase that I've been keeping with me. And it's bringing people together around a common purpose rapid deceleration of anthropogenic environmental decline. And when you just take the first part of that sentence, it doesn't seem so overwhelming. It's just bringing people together, you know? And the second part of the sentence is a little bit more focused. It's like, hey, like how can we most quickly bring people together to advance market-based solutions? Because from my point of view, from my dad's point of view, that's the quickest mechanism for driving substantial change. And that's because business doesn't like regulation. Like if, if, if laws are passed, they will still fight those laws um, tooth and nail, but they'll turn on a dime, right? For, for the, because of the profit motive. So we see that as the most practical and immediate way to drive change. And that's kind of how I've navigated uh, my work. And so when you narrow it down like that, and make it just about bringing people together, I think it seems a little bit less overwhelming. I'm not trying to save the world. I'm just trying to create a sandbox for people to play in 
and awesome people like you have like come into that sandbox and learned a lot. So, and I appreciate you and, and all the uh, volunteers for this uh, event to kind of kickstart the local green economy here in, here in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, and it's, it's funny because as you go down, you know, as everybody's always on, at least I hope they are on a knowledge journey. And, you know, I grew up, I'm a, we'll just call me an upper cusp millennial. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but I grew up in the age of, of, of recycling and that was going to solve all our woes. And then, you know, and you go down this rabbit hole though, of like, yeah, that's just a green one. That was a whole, it was literally a marketing campaign coming up with that little pretty triangle. And, you know, and then you start doing the research and I, I, meet people like you and I get in different, especially in the B Corp world, get roped into different conversations with people who that's their big priority as being a B Corp and learning about what actually happens. But at the same time, realizing that 10 years ago, nobody talked about carbon neutrality. Nobody, you know, now you get the, like the hardcore environmentalists like, well, that's all, you know what? And, and it's like, well, Hey, we're getting people to do that. And so it's like, we're rapidly accelerating this conversation. And I think you hit the nail on the head it's supply and demand. Like if you're going to get companies to listen, why does suddenly everybody care about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, the environment, everybody, you know, whether or not a lot of them are really good marketing campaigns, but they care because they know that, you know, this next year generation, Gen Z, they, they want to, they want to work for companies with purpose, you know, so it's that supply and demand that is starting to push the conversation where I think you're right. Laws and regulations, if we're waiting for those for businesses to change, they're not. Um, but if we make it, pro if we tell them what we will buy and what we will not buy and who we will work for and who we will not work for. Yeah. I think, and, and you're right. It's those small collective actions. Um, man, this is why we're brought together. Like I just, it's such a common <laughs> energy. I love it. I love it. So, um, so with that, I want to ask one more question, um, kind of around, I guess, the future of this, and I know you're optimistic, I'm optimistic. Sometimes, I don't know, maybe we're not as much, but we try to at least portray that we are. But what are your greatest yeah. hopes? Yeah, sometimes it's tough. What are your greatest hopes around making it more convenient to buy green as we talk about that supply and demand shift? What what do you see? And and I guess, again, what gives you hope that it's going to happen? Yeah, a lot of interest, I think, is what gives me hope. And uh I, it helps me like see this as being something that has continuity to it. So a lot of interest from vendors. Um, we've been working to curate 50 or so vendors that can kind of fit into our venue, Upon City Market. And there's some really cool companies here in Atlanta. And for those companies that we've talked to that don't really fit the bill, like they're not doing, you know, as much as they could from a sustainability standpoint. You know, we're, we're staying in contact with them because we want to help them on their sustainability journey. And um, at the end of the day, I would like the Environmental Solutions Store to be a place that represents the most sustainable version of a particular product or service that's available because that drives competition to be better. And by kind of keeping everybody in-house and working with everybody to help them solve their issues, whatever they are, a lot of issues right now center around sourcing because it's just a it's just a problem because of the, the what happened during the pandemic um so the the interest on the part of of existing companies that are already doing things really well and from those that probably have some room to improve that's that's the one side of the equation right like that's the that's the, the business side from a consumer standpoint you know we're just getting a lot of 
interest in this event. Uh, a lot of early registrations uh, through our website showcases how much interest there is. And one of our intentions for the event is to publish an impact report, kind of showcase how much was spent in the local green economy on the day, uh, how much waste were we able to divert from this event, um, how many people do we bring together, those sorts of things. And I know that's something that you've been involved with. But I think the two, the two like entities that we're trying to bring together around this idea it's the businesses and it's the consumers. And the interest from both is already there. So being able to showcase what happened when everybody came together is, uh, is something that like, I'm really excited about. And down the line, I'd love to be able to get sophisticated enough to showcase the impact of each purchase. And some companies do that really well. Like Allbirds, their shoes have like a carbon number associated with each pair that's sold. And it's how much carbon was, uh, how much COT was emitted because that shoe was made or that those pairs of shoes were made. That's a super interesting fact. You know, if we can get that sophisticated with every product and service that's sold, you know, that starts to get really compelling. Um, and maybe down the line, it's like a, a consumer portal that enables you to see what your impact really is. And especially when you start comparing, you know, a purchase of, you know, XYZ product versus another, um, that's, that's needle moving stuff. That's needle moving stuff. So I, I'm, I'm excited about that potential and in terms of what I like kind of hope to see um, going forward, I hope we can get that, that clear. Cause I think the whole idea of sustainability reporting is really confusing to most people. For the most part, you communicate effort, not impact. But impact is the number that I think we all want to see. And to be able to do that for each product sold and then to kind of aggregate that for each person who shops with us and then to aggregate that across all people who shop with us and be able to say, like, this is the impact we had in terms of avoiding deforestation. This is the impact we had in terms of avoiding polluting fuels. This is the impact we had in terms of, you know, preserving freshwater sources. To have that kind of clarity, that's something that I really want to see going forward, because I think it's what would drive the most behavior change. Is it just super clear, super obvious? There's nothing kind of obstructing the idea of green. It's right there in front of you. It's yeah, measurable. There's no, there's no fancy green triangle telling you that all is good. Just put it in the in the blue bin. <laughs> so. Well said. Much shorter answer. That's my vision. One of my favorite greenwashing commercials of all time was the Keurig one where they're like, our things are now recyclable. You know, she's bouncing it off the wall and into the recycling bin. I'm like, not anywhere, but anyway, um, <laughs> like, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Um, I guess Keurig's not going to be a sponsor of the podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, one last question I love to ask everybody is what question do you wish I had asked you? Uh, I actually wish that I had been able to ask you questions. <laughs> Ooh, maybe we need to do a reverse podcast at some point. We probably do. No, I think I think you covered some great questions. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate this time to kind of go over some ideas. Uh, if, I, if I'm missing anything from this conversation, it might be to say that what I'm working on is more 
so in an idea stage than anything else. You know, the fair is the first physical representation of some of these ideas. And what we can do beyond that has everything to do with people showing up. So I'll take the opportunity now to go ahead and plug www.atlgreen.market. If you haven't already, go to that website, RSVP, bring some friends. Your show support helps bring these ideas to life going forward. So I think that's what I'll say to kind of fill the gap here at the end of the show. Awesome. And if people beyond that, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, anything? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bad at uh, social media stuff. So I don't have Twitter. Um, I feel like you're good if you have a Twitter and really good if you have TikTok. Is that how it works these days? I don't know. I think I'm really good at LinkedIn only. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only one I have. Yeah. Can, uh, you can find my contact information on the website and um, feel free to reach out. Uh, our Instagram handle is atlgreen.market. And um, yeah, feel free to, to, to reach out. Love to hear from anybody who's curious to, about anything we talked about today, has questions, wants to help, whatever it may be. Yeah, and plug in beyond too, because this is, again, this is, it's a, this will be an iterative event that we learn a lot from this first go around and that we can take into figuring out what phase two looks like. Exactly. Yeah, thanks for that. So awesome. Well, Tyler, appreciate it, man. Glad to have, uh, glad our worlds collided at a, at a be local event last year and, uh, happy to have you in my circle. Happy to be in your circle. And thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Great talking to you. Always a pleasure. (laughs) Now one of our conversations is out in the universe. So (laughs) awesome. Have a good one, Tyler. Appreciate it. Later, man. Well, that wraps up another edition of Be The Change Georgia. We're grateful as always for the opportunity to serve you with this content and grow this incredible community of purpose-driven B Corp leaders. If you haven't already, we would be grateful for you to rate the show wherever you get your podcast by simply tapping the number of stars you think it deserves and sharing it with a friend. This helps us get the word out and continue to use our collective influence as a force for good. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from our production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening and now go be a leader worth following.